Welcome to the Macros for Life podcast, where we talk all things macros, business, and marriage. We're your hosts, Eve and Randall Guzman. Visit our website at www.gtransformationacademy.com, where you can download our free How to Track Macros guide. This guide has helped over 15,000 people start their macro tracking journey. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Macros for Life podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us. A lot of you already know him. His name is Mike Milner. He's a nutrition and neurotype training coach who has been in the space for over 10 years. So what's up, Mike? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Nice uh, to see you and connect after the summit another time. <laughs> I got the summit t-shirt on too. Yeah, oh, I haven't worn it thing. yet. I'm a serial sweater. I told Aram, I said, these gray t-shirts are going to be a problem for me. <laughs> And I don't know how I made it through the whole thing and didn't even grab my T-shirt, but <laughs> somehow I managed to do that. Ramo sent yeah. you if you tell him. Yeah, I need to reach out to him. Absolutely. Well, cool, Mike. We know your story. We know your background. Um, we love for you to share with our podcast audience, who we hope jo joins um, your subscription list and hops over to your podcast as well. But how did you get started in nutrition coaching? Do you have an origin story that brought you here? Uh, tell us all about it. Yeah, so I, I would say my origin story is... Um, it's a long one. I'll try and keep it short and sweet. So I, I never imagined that I would be in this space at all. It was never on my radar. Uh, when I was younger, I grew up an athlete, played pretty much every sport, basketball, soccer, tennis, baseball. And I was just always active. And I grew up in a family dynamic that involved pretty early exposure to diet culture, eating disorders. My oldest sister almost lost her life to anorexia. I remember when I was really young, my mom was on Weight Watchers, always counting points and dieting and uh, trying to lose weight. And then at some point or another, every member of my family had some issues with food, with body image, and some more severe than others. I always considered myself the lucky one because I was playing sports. I was active. I never had to worry about what I was eating. And I, I was just so naive to this entire space of just, I was like, you know, I'm why don't we just eat what we want to eat and, and live life and be happy? And, and I thought that I had avoided a lot of the things that my family was going through until I got to college and picked up a lot of typical college kid habits, um, drinking a lot, eating a lot of you know fried food, fast food. And once I stopped playing organized sports, I gained a significant amount of weight very quickly. Uh, and I remember it just hit me. It felt like it happened overnight. I woke up one morning. Uh, I was still at University of Maryland post-graduation. I uh, was living in a house with uh, the woman that would then become my wife, who's now my ex-wife. But um, I remember I woke up one morning and I walked into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, my God, what? Who am I looking at? I did truly didn't recognize myself. And it was you know, probably 80 to 100 pounds. Um, I never stepped on the scale until I had actively started losing weight. So I'm not sure what the total amount was, but that led me down the path of trying to get back to me. So my mental connection was, I need to be able to lose this weight as fast as possible. So I can go home and see friends that I haven't seen in a long time. Because in my head, mm. they're gonna ask all these questions about like, what happened to you? How'd you let yourself go? Like, I was afraid to get back on a basketball court. Um, all these things that had been such a part of my life and how I met people because I'm naturally very introverted. And so I made friends through sports and without feeling like an athlete anymore, without feeling like myself, 
uh, I went into this shell where I was like, okay, I'm not going to see anyone until this weight is gone. And so I would, you know, cancel plans. I would tell my friends I was sick. I couldn't hang out and I would just diet and diet and diet and extreme like 1200 calories, hours of cardio every day. And that led me down the exact thing that I thought I was avoiding, which was a horrible relationship with my body, a horrible relationship with exercise, a horrible relationship with food. And I spent a long time in that cycle, losing weight, gaining it back, losing weight, gaining it back. I was I was like the easiest sell for any like infomercial or any, any ad that I heard that was promised, you know, 30 pounds in six weeks, sign me up. I'm in. It didn't matter. Like I, I didn't know about sustainability. I had no insight into healthy behaviors or habits or anything like that. Um, eventually I was spinning my wheels long enough and found a local gym that introduced me to strength training for the first time. And that was like the first moment where I felt like I had some answers and it wasn't the full picture, but I hated doing cardio. So going to that gym and learning about strength training. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't have to do two hours of cardio a day. This is great. And I could see myself improving in other metrics other than just the scale. I was lifting heavier. I could, I had more confidence. I had more energy. And I kept noticing that people at the gym were kind of in that same space where they had their workouts consistently dialed in, but they were really struggling with nutrition. And I was in the same boat and I signed up for a challenge for that gym. I developed um, orthorexia because it was very strict and like, you can only eat these foods. Uh, so I became like hyper obsessed with clean eating. I would be that dude that would like go to a restaurant, like I'll get the salad, but like hold the dressing and no croutons and on, like only raw veggies and chicken and nothing else. And like, don't cook it in butter, don't cook it in oil. And I would make all these demands. Um, and if something was like untrackable, then it would give me anxiety. So long story short or long story longer, I, uh, you know, eventually it was like, I'm smart enough to figure this out. Like I, I can't keep banging my head against the wall. I'm, I'm losing relationships because of it. Uh, I had some, you know, it was creating tension with my wife at the time. It was creating tension with myself and my family members and close friends. Cause I kept calling, you know, I kept telling them I couldn't hang out for one reason or another. And I'm like, I have to be able to figure this out. I'm relatively intelligent. So I just dove into more of the research of human metabolism and nutritional science. And um, I dove in and, and that the person that owned the gym that I was going to offered me a personal training job. That was like my first entry point into the space, started tra uh, training clients in person while I was studying nutrition. And um, that kind of led me to becoming a nutrition coach and then ultimately starting my business. And, you know, through crawling out of that dark space myself, I learned so much about the psychology behind behavior change and transformation and goal achievement. And, and that has really been like the, the underpinning of, of what I do now is, is really helping people bridge that gap from um, the psychology and physiology, because I think it's been a lot of uh, programs out there are very physical and very much like it's, it's just an equation. It's calories in calories out, move your body more, eat less. Um, and I really wanted to take the time to understand the psychological nuance that goes behind creating any sort of change. Change is uncomfortable. Um, so that helped me connect better with my clients and um, start my business. And now I've had my business for about five years. And here we are today. Man, we can relate on so many things. If there's anything you said that I couldn't relate with, I know that Randall could relate with. And I think the one thing that we really, really, really have in common, and we talked about this on a podcast, is we both said, 
I'm smart enough to figure this out. But yet so many of us are on that like cycle of insanity and it like takes a long time to like wake up and get out of it. But yeah, we're people that decided like, let me kind of figure out something that's more sane and sustainable because the root cause is never being addressed. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I recognized after a while that I was just doing a different version of the same thing. So when I thought I was signing up for the new exciting program, it was just another form of restriction and like eat less, move more, eat less, move more. And it didn't matter what the calorie total was. Like I, I did meal plans that were 1200 calories, 1600 calories. None of it was enough and it was all unsustainable. And I recognized that each time I jumped from program to program, it was just a different version of the same exact thing that I was banging my head against the wall. I was hungry all the time. I was cranky all the time. Um, and I just didn't want to live like that anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you also it, touch on, I'll oh, go ahead. No, I just found it really interesting because like she said, we can relate on so many different topics. Um, I was the same. I was an athlete all my life. So even though I was a bigger guy, like I could kind of eat what I wanted as long as I worked it, like it didn't get out of control. And as soon as I hung up my cleats, like my weight just spun out of control. Two years, I had gained a hundred pounds. And then also I'm more of an introvert naturally. And that's how I made all my friends that you know was through football through sports so i can relate and then it's like okay that's your identity so now you have to find a new identity but i do find it like very interesting that you took to neurotyping after that because as athletes we're mostly programmed to just push through everything and not really think about it in that mindset and you actually went in and uncovered all of that stuff that we're not taught so i thought that's very interesting yeah, that was that was something that uh, was just a fortunate turn of events for me getting a coach where um, I had a coach who really helped me understand my own tendencies. Mm. It was the first time that anybody actually listened to me and was like, this is the way that you're wired. So mm. I'm not going to try to put you in a box with everybody else. I'm going to lean in to your strengths. I'm going to help you become aware of your weaknesses so we can make better decisions from a place of empowerment and understanding. And that was like the light bulb moment for me. And I was like, man, everything is set up to just put everyone in the same box, like any program that's trying to serve thousands of people. And it's the same process. It's the same program or the same template. It doesn't make sense. We're all different. And that was something that was so, to me, it was so obvious, but how did I miss that? How did I keep falling into that trap? But when I had somebody explain it and break it down for me, it's like, this is the way that you're wired. This is how your brain works. We're going to lean into that. Um, that was like the turning point for me. And I, I really haven't looked back and, and really kind of doubling down on that, that psychological side of things. And not everybody gets a coach like that. Lots of us self-coach on these like crazy, you know, um, diets that are just everything that's marketed out there, buy it off the shelf, buy it online, 30 day quick fix, but not everybody gets to experience good coaching. So I think it's a blessing that you were able to work with someone that was able to see who you truly were, explain it to you and go, we're not going to work against who you are versus, you know, what you could potentially fall into with coaching. And it's kind of like, if you can't do this, something's wrong with you. It's like the flip of that. Yeah, completely. And I think it's, you know, I had spent so much money on programs and templates and meal plans and everything else. And a lot of times people go through that and they're like, well, 
why is this time going to be any different? I'm just not going to spend the money anymore. And I'm fortunate that um, I'm grateful that I kept going because I wouldn't, if I had that mindset, I would have never found that coach who really changed my life and gave me a different perspective on things. And it was the ability to say, you know what? I learned from all of those experiences. I don't look at that as money wasted. I looked at, I look at it as I paid for a lesson and I paid for <laughs> exactly what not to do. And that really helped to shape the way that, you know, I made decisions for the future. So yeah, it took me a while to learn from my mistakes, but eventually that was, I was, I just kept going until I had that body of evidence to say, I need something different. And then I was able to find a coach through all of those past experiences in the way that he was talking about things like this was different. I knew it was different because I had those previous experiences. And I could say, he's talking about this from a different perspective. So I'm willing to, and it was more than I had ever paid for coaching because uh, I always took the the cheap, you know, quick fix option. And it was a significant investment in it. And it scared the shit out of me. But I was like, I can tell that this is different. And if nothing else, I know I'm going to learn something valuable and walk away with um, more experience that that's going to help me move forward. So sometimes it's difficult when, when you spend money, it doesn't get you the result that you want. You're like hesitant to do it again. But if it's really a lifelong pursuit, then to me, that should be a non-negotiable. Like we budget for things that are really important to us. We, we budget for our mortgage. We budget for car payment, your health, you know, without your health, you have none of those things. So it doesn't really matter. I, I look at it as I'm going to just set aside a certain amount every single year, regardless, because I never know when I'm going to need another coach. And I've always had coaches, but like I've been dealing with some gut health issues, some hormone issues. And fortunately I already have that budgeted because I know that that's going to be a forever thing every single year. And it's not a matter of if I'm going to spend the money, it's just what direction am I going to go with it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's how we feel. Like it's an, our life is a non-negotiable, like the quality of our life. It's a non-negotiable and whatever we have to do, we'll do like, it's just, it's at the top of the list with the mortgage. It is definitely. So neurotyping, our audience might not know what that is. Can you give us a, a rundown on what it is yeah, and how you apply it to coaching? Yeah, definitely. So uh, it's basically synonymous with the personality type, neurotype, personality type. Um, I use those interchangeably. And the reason why it's helpful is, is understanding who you are as a person to come from a place of awareness. Like I'm a big believer in self-awareness being the greatest gift that anyone can give to themselves or that you can give to another. So I would, if I could give one thing to the entire world, it would be more self-awareness uh, because that is the first step for any process of change. If you don't know that something's wrong, then how can you fix it? If you're unaware, then how can you make a change? So understanding your personality type and the way that you're wired helps you understand your tendencies, your preferences, uh, maybe some like impulses or compulsive behaviors that aren't serving you, things that will motivate you versus uh, get you you know bored and seeking like the shiny new object. So the best way to understand your personality type and, and how that influences your nutrition and training is because we have these things called neurotransmitters like that that control everything in the body, our thoughts, our mood, our emotions, and then things like blood flow, muscle contractions, digestion, every process that happens in the body requires neurotransmitters or chemical messengers to, to get those things done. Um, even just like recording this podcast, so we have a whole bunch of neurotransmitters that are responsible for all of the movements and communication and signaling that's happening. So 
we want to know what your brain chemistry looks like. Now, the best way to assess what your brain chemistry looks like or the way that you're wired, your nature, is through your personality type. It's through personality characteristics. The problem with doing something like a blood test, if somebody wants to say, like most people have heard of like dopamine or adrenaline or GABA or serotonin, all these different neurotransmitters, we could look at a blood test and we could see levels of dopamine, we could see levels of serotonin, and then we could try to jump to conclusions. The problem with that is it's a snapshot in time. So it doesn't tell me anything about the system as a whole. For example, if I have really high levels of dopamine based off of my blood work, but my dopamine receptors are not responding to the dopamine that I'm producing, I could have symptoms of low dopamine, but the blood test says it's fine or it's high. So it doesn't really tell us what's happening through the system as a whole. The way that we assess the system as a whole is through your behaviors, through your, your personality traits, your personality characteristics. And then we can start to identify like what neurotransmitters are dominant in you as an individual. So if you are dopamine dominant and you, you have a, and you're hyper responsive to dopamine, you're going to be more extroverted. You're going to be more of a risk taker. You're going to be more of a leader. You're, you know, there's all these traits that go along with that. And that relates to the way that you would like to train. You might be somebody who really likes to push strength in the gym. You love to PR. You like to win the workout every time. It's that high level of intensity. Um, if you're somebody who is more serotonin dominant, you're going to have higher levels of anxiety. You're going to be more organized, more structured, more detailed. For that individual, the way that you train, you're more of a technique geek. You like you know, form, you like function, you don't want, you don't care necessarily how much weight is on the bar, you want to master the movement, you want to follow this linear progression, that's very detailed and organized. Um, so it impacts the training that you'll gravitate towards. And, you know, you both know that at the end of the day, consistency is king, like that's, mm -hmm. if, if, if you're consistent, you're going to make progress. So if we can align your training and nutrition in a way that matches your personality, then consistency is going to improve. You're going to feel more like yourself. You're going to naturally enjoy the process more. And if, if you enjoy the process, you're consistent with the process, then the results are inevitable. It's just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. Randall, what type are you? <laughs> I know exactly. You don't even have to do the test. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely the dopamine, the high dopamine. I, I, I actually, it's crazy because I hurt my back in November and it was actually, I hurt my back carrying some soil actually out there and I'm in the gym deadlifting 500 pounds and like just without any issues. So I had to actually ramp down my workouts when I got back in because the first time I got back in the gym, it was the first time I really had been injured, which is crazy. Um, I had a partially torn ACL once in college, but it didn't really stop me from doing anything. Um, but it's crazy. I played that football for that long and I just that's the first real injury I had and I got it from carrying soil so when I rested up for December I got back in the gym in January and went crazy deadlifting 400 pounds again and put myself right back out and I was just able to get back in and now we're working on me actually structuring my workouts and focusing on form and keeping the weight low so I'm definitely I'm definitely dopamine dominant and I definitely love to push the weight in the gym but I'm learning to actually um, actually switch it up and, and focus more on the form and, and slowing down. and But it, it kills me not to win the workout. It yeah. kills me not to win the workout. Like, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm working on it daily. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's really like what you just touched on to me is really like why it's so valuable because it's not to use your nature or your tendencies as an excuse. Um, like I had somebody who 
is another coach and she reached out to me. Um, she's adrenaline dominant, which I am too. We, we like variety. We get bored very easily. We tend to jump to the next shiny new object. Uh, we kind of have squirrel brain and she's like, help me. I keep signing up for all of these like educational courses and I'll sign up for one and I'll do it for like a couple of weeks. And then I'm like, no, I want to do this other one. So I'll sign up for another one. I'll do that. And then I sign up for it. She's like, I know this is my neurotype, but like, how do I stop it? <laughs> like it's, it's a awareness tool. It's not an excuse. It's not to say, oh, well, this is my nature. So I'm just going to keep doing it. It's, Hey, I know that this is my nature. So from a place of awareness, I'm going to choose. I know that I'm going to get bored and I'm going to try to, I'm going to have the tendency to jump to the shiny new object. But now that I'm aware, I'm going to catch myself before I do that and say, you know what, this is my nature. I understand that my brain is, a, is um, attached to or, or attracted to the shiny new object. I'm going to pause. I'm going to take a second. And now I'm going to make the decision that's more in alignment with my goals. So instead of using it as an excuse, it's more for an awareness piece to be able to do what you're doing and say, I know that my tendency is to win the workout. I know I love to push the weights and feel strong in the gym, but I'm going to take a step back and recognize for long-term health to be able to train uh, for, for a lot longer, I need to prioritize lighter weights, better form, better technique, um, even though it's slightly against your nature. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good stuff. So yeah. thinking about this a little bit deeper, because I know we have a lot of um, philosophy and practices that are very similar. And we are always talking about consistency and, and sustainability in whatever you pick, whether it's sustainability at maintenance or sustainability in a deficit. How has this helped people to become uh, more consistent when they're going into a cut, whether it's with you solo or whatever, but um, how has this helped people achieve more consistency? Yeah, I think that it, it creates a level of buy-in uh, once they understand the way that they're wired and some tools that we can use from a nutrition and training standpoint to get them to enjoy the process more. Uh, but the one thing that I always say is we don't get to skip the foundational basics. Like, that always you have to you have to earn the right to do the more advanced stuff. So yeah, there's things that we can do for dopamine dominant individuals. We can talk about how to you know have the proper macro ratios that supports dopamine production. So you'll feel more like yourself and you'll have more energy and you'll be more motivated. But we can't just insert that stuff without the basics of like quality food choices. Uh, moving your body, stress management, sleep, drinking water. Like we have to be like, so to me, it's let's build the foundation first. Let's build the foundation in alignment with who you are as a person and, and start there. But like you have to master the basics before we start to get to the more advanced techniques like meal timing or macro ratios that might be better suited to your personality type or um, advanced training techniques or things like that. Uh, earn the right to go to a more advanced process. So um, it helps with enjoyment. It helps with consistency because people feel more like themselves when they're doing a training and nutrition plan that's aligned with their nature, but it's not a panacea. It's not, it's not like, Hey, we get to skip and shortcut the process. We still have to do the work. We still have to make sacrifices. We still have to be in this for the long haul. Um, so a lot of what I do is, uh, you know, helping people align with, uh, what they truly want and, and understanding, you know, I do a lot of work on self-image, a lot of work on identity, a lot of work on your future self and helping people to come from a place of knowing why this is important to them and who they want to become 
and recognizing any dissonance or any disconnect between what they say and what they do. So if your espoused values, the thing that you say you want is not congruent with your in real life values, the things that you're mm. actually doing in practice, <laughs> then there's a gap that we need to fill. We need to build that bridge so that we start acting in accordance with who we want to become. So that's a lot of the like foundational stuff that we go through. Um, it's really developing the right mindset to understand what this looks like forever. Um, and, and you can't, to me, it's, we're not going to ever have sustainable change if we're always holding on to a self-image or a self-limiting belief that's not serving us because your brain will always seek to confirm that. So if I, if I truly believe at my core that I'm not good enough, that I'm a failure, that, you know, why even bother? Because this is just going to be another same story where I try something and I come up short. Even if I start taking actions in a different direction, if I don't change that fundamental belief, I'm going to self-sabotage at some point in the process to confirm that belief that I'm a failure. So we got to work at the, at the core level of your identity, your self-image, uh, you know, the beliefs about yourself and your future self, who you want to become to make all of this other stuff sustainable. That's deep. That is because I always tell people like, you have to be able to picture yourself being that person that you want to be or being in that position that you want to be in order to actually strive for it in order to reach for it correctly in order to orient yourself in a, in a manner where you're actually pushing forward in that way and sometimes people tell me oh i'm too optimistic and this that and the other but i just and it's a different way of saying it but i'm just like you like how, how can you reach for a goal if you can't even picture yourself obtaining it without a doubt like that will be what they confirm if you can't see it then it's never going to come true Right. Like even even just taking a, a quick assessment for anybody, this is always like I go through this exercise with clients and it's always like the gut punch. So I'll say, let's look back at the at the last month. And you can really take any time frame. You could even say, let's look back at the last week. How many commitments, how many promises did you make to yourself that you broke? And then mm -hmm. I'll help them like, did you say you were going to work out X amount of days? Did you say you were going to walk 10,000 steps a day? Did you say you were going to drink 100 ounces of water? Like, I know you made commitments to yourself. I know you made promises to yourself. Let's assess how many did you break? And we're like, oh, well, uh, like maybe five, maybe 10. I'm like, keep thinking about it. I know that there's been other things, maybe with your relationships. Maybe you said you were going to take out the trash. Maybe you said you were going to, you know, play with your kids after school, like keep going. And they're like, okay, it's probably more like 20. Like, And we're just talking about a week or whatever, you know? And so I'm like, you have your brain and your body have, they have no trust in you. Like right now, you say you're going to do something and there's a good chance that you don't follow through. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but right now there's no belief. There's no self-trust until you start following through on the things that you say you're going to do. And you make that a guiding principle in your life. You're never going to be successful because you're always going to have a built-in out that what I say is not that important. You're always going to have a built-in excuse. And what people oftentimes get wrong is they make the promise or the commitment so grand that it's easy to fall off. It's easy to break that promise because if you just think about how people act when, you know, it's, it's resolution time or when it's time to get ready for summer or whatever, like they make these big ambitious changes and they're not sustainable. So like the, the building self-trust is making the commitment and the promise so easy and, and manageable that it almost seems stupid. Like I tell my clients, if you think to yourself, that is so dumb. You're on the right track. Like yeah. the promise of, Hey, I'm just, 
I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have my clothes like the night before I'm going to lay out my workout clothes. That's the promise. Not I'm going to go to the gym, not I'm going to train for an hour. The promise is I'm going to lay out my clothes the night before. That's mm-hmm. it. Or I'm going to go for a five minute walk. Like you're talking about 30 seconds or five minutes of, of effort, but you have now registered self-trust. I said I was going to do this and I did it. Mm-hmm. And then once you build that evidence of self-trust, now we can take it from I'm going to put my clothes out in the morning to I'm going to actually put them on or five minute walk becomes 10 minute walk. Now you just start to, you know, um, increase the amount of commitments or the, the, the level of commitment that you're making because you now have trust in yourself that you're going to follow through. Uh, and then the, the key to that is we actually need to I, like create a reward system. So this is where like dopamine comes into play. All, all behaviors, all habits are created the same way. Um, and it's solidified with that dopamine or reward response in the brain. So if we do follow through on the five minute walk, for example, you can get a dopamine response simply by saying to yourself, I said I was going to get a five minute walk in and I followed through and I did it. And this is going to help me to become the person that I want to become. That just that self-recognition will give you that dopamine response that solidifies the behavior. Now you have that positive feedback loop. I said I was going to do this thing. I did the behavior and I rewarded the behavior or even just like checking it off as like a task completed on your phone or, or a calendar that will trigger that dopamine release that solidifies the behavior. And the more that you do that, now it's just ingrained. This is, this is part of who you are. This is a guiding life principle. When I say I'm going to do something, I do it. I follow through. And now you're unstoppable. You can, you can take that as far as you want it. Mm-hmm. And it's true. Cause like I'm, I was walking myself through what you were saying to what I did yesterday. And I got the dopamine hit again. My thing was, my day is so busy. I'm overwhelmed. I'm getting back in the swing after all of this traveling. I'm kind of sore, but it's on my schedule to do leg day. I'm like, just commit, do it Four exercises, lift really heavy. And I did that. And today when you said that, I was like, I said, I wanted to do leg day. I held myself to it. And just now I felt good again. Like, damn, you did leg day, you know, like, and it's true. But like you said, people think if they think it's stupid, it's probably the right thing. Yeah. Okay so small and manageable that it almost feels too easy mm-hmm. almost like training if it's if it feels stupid simple or repetitive you're probably doing the right workouts like you probably need to build the foundation before you're adding other things on i think people love skipping to really hard really aggressive things and really big goals um, one of them I would love to bring up because you brought it up when we started the podcast was, is the infamous 1200 calorie diet, <laughs> the 1200 calorie diet. What's up with the 1200 calorie diet? I've done them. I think, I don't think Randall's, have you went that low Randall? I've done the 500 calorie diet one time. Oh so it's like, it was like, and of course it didn't work. I mean, it gave me instant <laughs> results, but you know what happened as soon as I ate again, um, I gained it all back. So I've definitely been a victim to the super low calorie diet. It was like, I'm not even going to call it out the diet I did for 500 calories, but it was like, I was eating like little chocolate tablets and drinking shakes. And like, it would be like 500 calories a day. Yeah. It lasted for about three weeks, but I mean, I was dying the whole time. So. (laughs) Yeah. So my, my philosophy on where that came from, and this is just, I guess I have no clue why that became like the gold standard for, for women, it seems to lose weight. But uh, my guess is that if like, if I were 
in a room of let's say 500 people. And I was like, all right, there's 500 people in this room right now. I'm going to give you all a calorie number that helps everybody in here lose weight. I have to account for the worst metabolism in the room. Right. So I think that's where it came from with, with companies or programs, even like my fitness pal, when you go in and you, you know, put in all of your data, they basically spit out 1200 calories at most people. Because if I have thousands of people and I want everybody to lose weight, I have to account for the slowest and the worst metabolism in the room. So I have to really undershoot the number to, to make sure that it's successful, quote unquote, successful. The problem with that is it's not sustainable for 99.9% .9 of people. So um, yeah, you're going to lose some weight, but you're also going to gain it back just as fast, probably with interest. So I think that's where it came from. I think it was just um, companies or programs that were trying to service a massive quantity of people and thinking, if we want everybody in this program to lose weight, we have to account for the slowest metabolism in the room. So let's come up with a really low number that will work. And um, I just think that they lost sight of or ignored the sustainability piece of what happens when you no longer can eat 1200 calories, because most people can't do it for any length of time. And if they do, then they're going to have some metabolic adaptations, their, their metabolism's going to be slower, they're going to develop potentially some hormonal or thyroid issues. And um, usually it's, it's not a fun road to recovery. We deal with a lot of clients who come to us significantly underfed, overtraining, and, uh, you know, the healing process can be a long one, depending on how severe it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's probably, I could, I would probably say 50 to 75% of our clients have done 1200 calorie diets. It might even be higher than that. It's probably 85%. I mean, my first one was like, I don't know, maybe almost 20 years ago and they're going strong. They're in women's world magazines. Um, I think we've called it out in posts, our blog, maybe on one of our podcasts that, yeah, if you go into my fitness pal and you set your numbers more than likely for women, it's going to default to 1200. You might get lucky and get 1400 spit out, but it's definitely probably going to be under 1500. And then we see a huge carryover into physicians recommending 1200 calorie diets. And I'm sure you've probably had this where a client goes to a checkup, they've been working with you one-on-one, -on -one, their mindset is improving, their consistency is improving, they're getting, um, you know, strength gains in the gym and they go in for an annual checkup. And, you know, maybe your client says something like, yeah, I've been working on losing weight. And then the doctor has this recommendation. And a lot of the times, and I'm not hating on my fellow physician friends, 1200 calories slips out of their mouth. And then they come back to us and they're like, should I be eating less? And I'm like, oh my gosh, no, we're doing the right work. Yeah. I think it's one of the things that we, you know, one of the challenges we face as coaches and practitioners and, you know, we have to deal with crazy amounts of misinformation and access to information. Like it's not just oh, the client is listening only to their coach, their client is likely on social media, they're going to their doctor, they're, you know, reading something else, their neighbor is doing some other program, like there is, there, there's the positive side of having access to so much information. And then there's the negative side of just constantly being inundated with noise. And, you know, we talk about that a lot, like how to cultivate your environment for success and drowning out the noise and drowning out all the distractions. Because, you know, we got to, I always say like, Stay in your lane, run your race, run your race with blinders on, but that's easier said than done. 
when there's so much opportunity for comparison and for, you know, the doctor saying one thing and this, you know, your neighbor saying one thing, and some person that you found on Instagram is saying one thing. It's like, what, what am I supposed to listen to? So um, that's where if you're working with a quality coach, just stay focused, stay in your lane, keep the blinders on and recognize that you're on the right path. And, you know, the other thing is look at, look at the science of hindsight. I, I kept coming back because I have that natural tendency too. sometimes when I'm feeling a little bit thick and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I, I need to tighten things up. <laughs> my mind immediately goes to like very low calorie. I'm like, I'm just going to rip the bandaid off. But I have past experience to say, if that was going to work, it would have worked 15 years ago when I started this or, or 20 years, however long it's been now. But that would have worked a long time ago. If it was going to work, it would have worked by now. So anytime you get that little bit of, uh, you know, that that devil on your shoulder that's saying, hey, go back to 1200 calories. Just remember, if that was going to work, it would have worked by now. That's really good advice. Because, I mean, we all get the itch. You know, all of us have that day where we're like, feel like you said, a little bit thicker. I'm feeling a little fluffy. But at the end of the day, you're you're going to be right back where you started every time. Um, and a lot of people don't understand what happens with hormonal imbalances and metabolic adaptation and how our body's always gravitating to homeostasis. And a lot of the times when we do these things that are more aggressive, um, some of the, uh, you know, feedback that our body gives us is I need to pack on a little bit more weight after the fact. And sometimes, like you said, you end up back where you started. And I love that you said plus interest. Yeah. Quoted by Mike Milner, plus interest, you guys, <laughs> yeah. plus interest. Usually that's where it goes, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, what are your thoughts on like nutrition periodization for people um, that are listening and are wanting to get to, you know, a really comfortable body weight, put on muscle, but like looking at it long-term, like as a year from now, what are your thoughts or your approach with nutrition periodization and dieting frequencies and things like that? Yeah. So, um, I always get this probably the number one, most asked question that I get above anything else is how long should I diet for? Um, and immediately I think it's coming from a place of people who've been dieting for a really long time. And then they hear coaches like us or like, Hey, you should probably stop dieting so much. And I always say at, at a bare minimum, you should be in maintenance longer than you're in an active dieting phase. But to me, I think it should be much, you know, I think maintenance should be much longer than that. Like most people are trying to diet year round. Even if they're not actively in a deficit, they are mentally dieting year round. They are mentally always trying to lose weight. Even if they're, they're binging or overindulging and it's causing them to gain weight, Mentally, they're thinking, I need to lose this weight. I need to lose this weight. So they're mentally dieting, even if they're not physically dieting. And that takes a toll. That is a major stressor. That is a mental tax that adds up. So then when it comes time to, all right, I'm going to tighten up my nutrition, like you're spent. You have no energy reserves to pull from. You have no willpower. You have nothing to give. So a lot of times they'll jump into a dieting phase. They'll, they'll feel like I've got nothing left. And then they end up overindulging again and gaining weight. So I think from periodization, most people would benefit from taking as much time as they can to truly understand what maintenance looks like and feels like for them. I think maintenance is like a lost art. People avoid it like the plague because it's not as tangible. It's not like I can say, do this maintenance phase and you're going to drop 20 pounds. That's not the point of maintenance. The point is to understand 
what your body actually needs to feel amazing, to thrive, to feel strong, to recover well, to sleep well, to have energy, to not be hungry all the time, to have mood stability, like all of these positive signs that your body's responding. Take the time to push something other than fat loss. Take the time to focus on strength or focus on muscle or focus on confidence or just improving how you feel internally. Like a lot of times we treat this whole ordeal as if it's transactional or if it's, if it's a, you know, conditional thing, like, yeah, I'll do this. If I see the number change on the scale, I'll do this. If I get the body of my dreams in X amount of time, like get rid of the conditions, get rid of the transactional nature and recognize that if you want this for life, you have to be in it for life and that there is no finish line. It's an infinite game. So when you scale the first mountain, it's not over, it's not done. You have another mountain to scale and it, it never stops. There's always going to be another one, but we acquire the, the skill set and the tools to keep scaling higher mountains every time we complete that task. So embrace it, embrace the process, focus on process wins and the things that we were talking about, like you got your leg day in when you didn't want to, and you were, you know, you were coming back from travel. Like that's a process win. Getting in that leg day didn't make you lose 20 pounds. Getting in that leg day didn't, you know, push your PRs or it didn't build you a bunch of muscle. It's a process win. So go through maintenance, spend as much time as you need to start focusing on process wins and what that looks like for you and um, get your body feeling its best. And then take a very short period of time to mentally and physically diet, which would be, which shouldn't be that much of a deviation from maintenance. It should just be some small sacrifices that move the needle and you know, I don't like to give timelines because it's different for every person, but just for reference, like four to 12, maybe 16 weeks on the longer side. Um, nothing more than that for me when it comes to dieting. Yeah, I think we're all similar um, there when we go to uh, time points. And, and it does vary from person to person. But a lot of times our clients get frustrated when if you you have if you have a responsible coach, he's not going to cut you when you're not ready to be cut or he's not going to leave you in a diet phase for a super long, long time where you're not, but it's kind of like, okay, if you're taking a test, you're not just going to jump in the test before you study. I mean, you have to get ready for that. And, and, and that's a good point, but I thought that was definitely interesting. The mindset piece, because me losing 126 pounds, like even the time after that, when I lost 126 pounds, I spent a lot of time, like beating myself up over putting on like 20, 30 pounds while I was eating at maintenance. But I didn't know at the time that I needed to eat back at maintenance. But it's, I mean, it's a necessary, it's a necessary part of the process. Yeah. And that's even if you have, you know, 100 plus pounds to lose, um, you can probably get away with a little bit longer of a dieting phase, but you still have to to practice and master maintenance because I'm assuming that most people want to keep the weight off. Uh, and that's how it's done. It's done in maintenance. And you want to live your life and you want to know that, hey, I can still, you know, be social and I can still travel and I can still do the things that bring me joy. And that, you know, to me, that's important. Like I want to, you know, when we were at the event, I want to be able to have a drink and, and you know, have dinner with my team and not worry about, am I hitting my macros and all that stuff? I just want to be there and be present and enjoy good food, good drinks and good people. That's what it's about. So like, you learn that stuff in maintenance. When you're when you're dieting, you have to make some more sacrifices. When you're in maintenance, that's the time to practice. Like, what is this lifestyle going to look like for me? Um, and is this something that I can do forever? Absolutely. I think maintenance is the hardest phase. That's my opinion. 
I think, yeah, yeah. It's my opinion because I had to learn to master it. I spent all my life dieting. When I got to the goal, I'm like, what the hell do I do with myself now? Like physically, mentally, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I and I would see other people around me and the coaches that we mentor say this all the time too. So it's not just like gen pop. It's like coaches, you guys are thinking this too. They see everybody going on diets and they're like, should I diet? Should I be dieting? Like everybody's doing this. And um, there's one coach that we mentored. Her name is Julia. And she mostly talks about maintenance. And I love her message. She's like, resist the urge if you know you don't need to be in a deficit. And it's really hard to kind of break that cycle of wanting to be, should I be in? It's almost like returning to like an abusive relationship. Like you don't need it. But people find it really hard to be in maintenance. And when a coach says, okay, we need to be in maintenance for six months or nine months. They feel like it's a death sentence. Yeah, without a doubt. And like, the question is, when can I diet again? When can uh-huh. I start my next cut? And, or they'll be like, I don't, I feel like I don't have a goal. I feel like I'm floundering because I have nothing to work towards. And that's where it's like process goals, process goals are what successful people focus on. It's not about you, you know, again, it's not about instant gratification. It's not about a conditional exchange of this for that. It's, this is my life. This is what I want forever. So process goals when you're in maintenance, I I'm getting in X amount of workouts per week. I'm still, you know, eating quality food. I'm still managing stress, getting sleep. Like I'm focusing on the process and then I'm rewarding myself for that, which will trigger that dopamine response. And, you know, now I, I diet one time every year, just, I go, I'm, I'm in my cut phase right now. This will be the last time that I diet for the entire year. And then it'll be all maintenance until next year. At some point, I'll, I'll pick a time that I want to, you know, cut for a little bit. And it's always very short and to the point, get in and get out. Cause I don't enjoy dieting. So I don't want to be here very long or longer than I need to be, but it took a while to have that mindset shift. And there are definitely times when I, when I'm in maintenance that I keep thinking like, should I, should I? And I just have to remind myself of why I'm not doing it. Why maintenance is, is better for my overall health and well-being and social life and family life and all the things that are important to me. And um, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough mindset change, but it's worth it. Yeah. And I think when people finally experience it and they remove the pressure of, like you said, in the beginning, um, some of the really strict mindset that you had of like raw veggies on the salad, dressing on the side, no croutons, meat has to be grilled, baked, whatever, you get to go into a phase where you don't have to be as strict with what fits and hits your macros. So you can work on other things that are that are probably more important about you than anything else. Like when is the last time, and I'm probably digging at myself, when is the last time I read a book? I need to be reading more books. I buy all these books. Am I reading them? But am I enhancing relationships with my family? Like things like that. Um, I really want people to understand like their aesthetic look and their physique is not the most important thing about them. Um, and their worth is so much greater, but a lot of people can't really get over that into the next mountain till they find themselves living in maintenance and not having to have dieting as their part-time job anymore. Yeah, completely agree. It's well said. Definitely a big one. So I know you talked about on your Instagram page, 2023 trends, since we're still (laughs) in the first quarter, um, what do you think the 2023 trends should be for people getting to um, ultimate health and just like enjoying the body composition that they have or improving their body composition? 
Yeah, I think we touched on a lot of them. I think number one would be stop dieting all the damn time and like start, you know, embracing maintenance. Uh, I think becoming more process focused versus outcome focused. Uh, the results will happen when they happen. We can't control the speed. We can't control the exact number. Like we can control the process. Um, I think that's another one. Like how about the trend of getting rid of 1200 calories as the generic recommendation uh, and understanding that we, we need a, to eat more to actually thrive and, and, you know, be strong and fit and healthy. Um, and I think that that's probably another one is understanding health. I think um, it, it's, there's a lot of things that get masked as health that are the furthest thing from it. Mm. Even when it comes to aesthetics, like being your leanest self is not healthy. Walking around in like single digit body fat percentage or 5% or seven, like that's not health. It's okay to, to say that that's a goal. If that's a goal, great, go for it, have at it. But that's, let's not confuse that with being healthy. And I think that we have these unrealistic standards of what health looks like. Just because somebody has the aesthetic look that you think you desire, you have no idea what it took that person to get there and what's going on mentally and emotionally. They could be going through depression. They could be going through significant anxiety. They could be really unfulfilled. Like, let's understand that health is more than physical, that there is the emotional mental, spiritual, if that's your thing, like there's so many pillars to health beyond just what you look like. Um, and I, I think sustainability to me, like that's the one message that I'll repeat until the day that I die is it has to be sustainable. If you can't see yourself doing it forever, why are you doing it for 30 days or six weeks or however long? Um, now there's, there's certain times where I'm okay with like, I want to experiment to see how something feels, but that's very different than thinking, I'm going to sign up for this restrictive program because I think it's going to help me lose 20 pounds, um, knowing that you can't do that forever, knowing that it's just um, an unsustainable method. So um, sustainability is like the one trend that I'm probably year after year, you'll hear me talking about and, uh, until I feel like we've made a dent in getting people to the mindset of I need to be able to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the thing. I, one of the things I would say is most I'm most aware about now that has been the most powerful decision maker in what I do is I know thyself. I know I can't do keto. I know I'm not going to be into like powerlifting and CrossFit and boot. Like I'm not into that stuff. I'm not going to go do it as a means to lose weight. And I'm comfortable knowing who I am and just living off of that and relating that to all the things I do in my life. Yeah, completely. I have a, I have a saying to clients, I say, know yourself and play your game. Uh, mm. Anytime they're like, should I be doing this? Should I be doing this? I'm like, know yourself and play your game. Like, that's <laughs> not your game. You know, the last time you tried keto, how that ended, like, you got to know yourself and play your game. Like, there's all these distractions out there, but like, come back to the internal. I know who I am. I know what's sustainable for me. I know the life that I want to live. I know the person I want to become. Uh, and now I can make decisions that are in alignment with that. Cool. So last question, just to respect your time. If there was a piece of advice you would have given to yourself 20 years ago, um, when you 15, 20 ish, when you were struggling with the weight and things like that, um, and trying to make changes to improve your health, um, what would have been a piece of advice or something you would have said to yourself then? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think a lot of things, first of all, I don't, I don't regret anything that I went to. I've, I've had, you know, some, some stuff that's occurred in my life where, um, like I mentioned, going through a divorce and my, my dieting years were a big divide in my relationship. 
Um, I definitely had some metabolic implications. I'm on thyroid medication. I have hypothyroidism. Um, I have Hashimoto's and a, a lot of it, I think was just from so like years of beating up my body, chronic stress, under eating. And I still deal with that today, but I don't regret any of the decisions that I made because they were all necessary in the process of growth and learning and um, and having the background that I do, I think is an advantage now because I've been through it. So I can relate to people on a, on a deeper level. Uh, so I don't regret any of it, but if I had to go back and give my younger self some advice, um, it would be to slow down and, and be patient and slow down and stop trying to fix everything tomorrow. Like take your time and, and make like tactful, mindful decisions. Um, I think I always found myself in this rush of it has to happen now and this like immediate urgency, like if I don't get these 80 pounds off tomorrow, then like my life is over. And it was just a very, uh, you know, stressful way of living. And so I would have, that'd probably be the one thing that I would go back and tell my younger self is just to chill. They're like, you've got your whole life to, to do this. And if this is something you want forever, just take a breath, calm down, slow down, be mindful. And now let's make these decisions from that frame instead of the frame that everything needs to change tomorrow. Got it. Like good. Well, yeah. <laughs> definitely appreciate you joining us today. Thanks everybody for listening. And thanks to Mike Milner for joining us today. If you guys don't follow him already on IG, go follow him. His IG is coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And you'll get a lot of useful information from his page. And until next time, we'll see you guys later. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Make sure you like, share, and tag us on Instagram. Also, subscribe to our channel so you don't miss future episodes. In the meantime, be healthy and get wealthy.